Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Monday, July 27th, we are studying Judges chapter 10, verses 6 through 18. Today's text starts with that familiar refrain, the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. The rebellion, ruin, and repentance of Israel is on display yet again as the text transitions toward the third major period of judges in Israel's history. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Luke Zimmerman. Pastor Zimmerman serves at Calvary Evangelical Lutheran Church in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. Pastor Zimmerman, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Thank you very much. Very good to be back. Pastor Zimmerman, we find ourselves at a bit of a a transition point in the book of Judges. As we will see when we get into the text itself, there's not as much action in this text as maybe we've grown accustomed to in the book of Judges. And as as we certainly see later on, there's some really just fantastic accounts, narratives within this. And and today's text is a, a bit milder. So perhaps it's a good time to reflect on the book of Judges more as a whole, to remind ourselves what's going on in the book of Judges, and particularly what we're coming out of, because we do find ourselves in a bit of a transitional text here today. Yeah, it's a good way to start. Uh, as our listeners probably know, hopefully by now, is that the book of Judges is covering a period that follows after Moses brought the Israelites out of Egypt and then was succeeded by Joshua, uh, the assistant who was appointed. And then the Lord uh, established Joshua as the successor to Moses. And that's the great part where we talk about the conquest of Canaan, where the Lord is bringing his people into that promised land. And, and, that's, and it's excellent. But remember with Joshua, there is also the court towards the end where it's all set up that the Lord has done this great thing for his people. But the blessings that the Lord has given to them could actually be forfeit or forsaken if the people forsake the Lord, the one who had actually brought them into Canaan, the one who had established them as this great nation. Because remember, the Lord speaks about Israel not being a great nation in and of itself. Right? I didn't choose you because you were great, but I've chosen you because my favor is resting on you. And so what's what this period after Joshua is a time when you actually see the people of Israel going back and forth between allegiance to the Lord, real devotion to the Lord, or on the other hand, apostatizing or falling away from the faith. Uh, instead of being devoted to the Lord, being devoted to the Canaanite gods, the gods that the other nations around them were worshiping. And so the book of Judges kind of recounts this, and recounts this cycle that the nation of Israel goes through. 
And when we read it, we end up seeing that, that there's kind of like a pattern that the people of Israel go through, uh, their, their activities go through. So you have them where they are receiving like the full benefit of the Lord's blessing. The Lord has given them peace and prosperity. We can say that the nation is at rest, if you want to use that kind of term. Um, they, they are receiving both the spiritual blessings, but also temporal blessings. So the Lord has brought them into this good land. But then we see them apostatizing or relapsing. They begin to adopt the Canaanite religions and customs, and they start they start removing those things which were distinct about them, that they were to be devoted to Yahweh the Lord and to follow his way of life that was set out before them in the in the books of Moses. And then as the Lord observes this happening among the Israelites who are forsaking him, he is angered. He, he's, he's not pleased in, in any way. And he actually allows the nation to be ruined. He gives them over to their enemies as they did what was evil in his sight, as they were serving the Baals or the Ashtaroths or these other gods that the Canaanites worshipped. When that happens, the Lord's activity of allowing his people to suffer in that way is meant to bring them to repentance so that they realize their idolatry, they realize their apostasy, they realize they were not to be this way. They were not to be devoted to the Canaanite gods. They were not to be adopting their practices and and becoming uh, idolaters. And when that repentance happens, the Lord then acts for his people. He raises up a judge or a deliverer, someone who is going to uh, liberate the Israelites from the other nations that are afflicting them. So that kind of a time of restoration. And we kind of see that cycle repeating uh, several times throughout the narrative of Judges, at least the main bulk of the book of Judges. So that's the the main cycle, and we've seen that play itself out a couple of times already in the book of Judges. We're going to see it play itself out a little bit more. Now, as, as we are in the book of Judges here in the second part of chapter 10, whereabouts in that cycle do we find ourselves? We've had this really long narrative that started with Gideon in chapters 6, 7, and into 8. Eight, and then you get this, it's a bit of an anomaly within the book of Judges, this, this matter of Abimelech, an actual son of one of the judges, or the son of Gideon, who starts to take power, and, and that turns out quite poorly for the people of Israel, as we saw previously. And, and then there's these two minor judges that, that you get, Tola and Jair, right before this text. So with all of that, kind of where in that cycle are we going to find, our, where have we been in that cycle, where are we going to find ourselves in this text today? Okay, so in the text that we're going to look at today, we, we, can, we can think of it being staged in a couple, couple places, depending on how you want to look at it. Uh, if you want to look at it kind of in the overall narrative of Judges, we're going to enter into kind of a third period of the Judges. And, um, you know, the second period was really covered uh, with, um, with, with Gideon and Abimelech when the Lord uh, 
freed the Israelites from the Midianites. Um, and the first period was the kind of the early part, chapters three, four, and five. And uh, that's where you have Barak and Deborah and several other judges who are mentioned there. So what we're going to be doing is we're going to be entering into like a third period where the Lord is going to raise up in particular two nations which are neighboring Israel to be his instruments of, well, ruination. <laughs> the instruments that are going to afflict temporal uh, punishment upon uh, his people. And those will be the Ammonites, who were based to the east of Israel, and then the Philistines, who are based kind of to the south and west of Israel. And the Philistines are, are probably very famous to us because we're going to read about the Philistines a lot as we progress through part of the rest of Judges, but also Samuel will be dealing with him and ultimately, you know, David and Goliath dealing with the Philistines. So we're, we're going we're gonna to learn about them for a while, not as much today. Today we're going to deal with the Ammonites more. And so in that kind of way, you can see where our chapter fits. In terms of like that kind of like five-stage cycle of rest and relapse, ruin, repentance, and restoration, we're going into the relapse stage. We're going to see the Israelites becoming like the Canaanites. We're going to see them forsaking the Lord and chasing after the other gods, the gods that the surrounding Canaanite nations were worshiping. And then we'll see how the Lord is angered at the Israelites because of this, and begins a period of ruin. And at the very end of our text for today, you're going to see the repentance that is brought about as the Israelites experience this. And that's going to lead into the, you know, the remainder of the chapter and introducing a judge named Jephthah, who, well, you'll get to learn more about him in the, in the next uh, broadcast. Right. So, uh, Pastor Zimmerman, then with, with that, particularly as this text fits into the broader picture of judges and those three stages, the first being, well, pretty much everything before Gideon, chapter three through Gideon, and then the second stage being Gideon and Abimelech, and now this third stage. So if this functions as an introduction, where these two primary enemies are introduced, you've got the Ammonites on the one hand and the Philistines on the other, then with the Jephthah cycle, that's going to deal primarily with the Ammonites. Samson's going to show up and deal primarily with the Philistines. I know this goes a, a bit beyond, but just as our text today, but as we think forward in the book of Judges then, should we understand Jephthah and Samson being somewhat concurrent with each other rather than one right after the other? Or, or do we know? How, how do we, I mean, is this sort of functioning as introduction to the rest of Judges up through the end of sixteen? Yeah, it's it's really kind of introducing uh, kind of two concurrent, or at least may, maybe you would say overlapping, might, might be the best way to put it. Uh, so it's kind of happening at the same time, but there might be a little bit of a gap uh, in terms of like when one part ends and the other continues on. Because we kind of read um, in the cycle with Jephthah, the kind of the Ammonites are, are kind of put away and 
you don't deal with them as much. Mm. Uh, whereas the Philistine part is going to continue on. It's mm. going to continue on even past the book of Judges. Mm. Uh, but yeah, that they are happening somewhat at the same time, contemporaneously. And really that you can kind of look at there's, um, with, with, with geography, that kind of like the people who are in the east, the eastern part of Israel, are affected much more by the Ammonites who are coming from the east, whereas people in kind of the south and west of Israel is affected more by the Philistines who are, again, to the kind of the south and west of them. Mm-hmm. Right. So, yeah, geography matters again, too. And this has been something that we've seen else, elsewhere in the book of Judges, where sometimes, at least I know in, in my own mind, when I picture a, a judge and, and how that judge is working, I think of Israel as a whole, but sometimes that's not exactly the picture, that it is more of just a section of Israel where a particular judge is is working to bring God's rescue and not necessarily the whole thing. And I think this is, is one of those good examples. So just as, as a way of reminder, then, when we, when we look at this text, we want to keep this text in mind, for example, when we get into chapter 13, when it comes to the introduction of Samson, this is going to be important background for that, even though it's a couple chapters removed. Any any further introductory comments on, on these verses from chapter 10 before we dig into them, Pastor Zimmerman? I think that gives us a good start, but I, I, I like the fact that when we began the broadcast, you know, the idea of, of hearing that what we're going to be talking about is echoing something that had already happened before. And, and um, I know when I've studied judges with like my parishioners, you know, sometimes we read it, I tell them like, you know, the storyline doesn't get much better. Okay. <laughs> I mean, and, and it's like, it's like, please come back next week, but I'm going to tell you, it's not going to be much better. <laughs> um, and, and, and to see that, you know, what Israel was doing is, is repetitive. Now, of course we are covering uh, periods of time. So it's not always like the same exact Israelite, like people doing this. These are, these are happening over generations. But it really kind of shows, you know, the, the human condition, uh, our, our depravity, our, our innate sinfulness is very easy to uh, bubble out. Mm. And, and um, we're not really different than the Israelites uh, at that time. And, and so I know we had the kind of the question of like, you know, well, why did they ever learn or mm. why didn't they, you know, change? And you have to remind, you know. Right, remind my people, you know, that every week you come and, and we do our confession of sins and, and, and we talk about, you know, there, was, there were things I was supposed to do and I didn't. Mm. And there were things I wasn't supposed to do and I did those things. Mm. And um, really, in some ways, the book of Judges is just like presenting that. Mm. Um, it, but it's presenting it kind of as a large group of people doing it. Um, Whereas we think of ourselves kind of individually more. Uh, but one of the applications that could be just say is what, what are we doing as a church, as a corporate body, as the Lord's people? And are we doing what's evil in the Lord's sight? Or are we maintaining our devotion to him? Or are we chasing after other gods, other, other teachings, other ways of life, other ethics, other morals? And so it's... Um, it's always a timely book to read. For sure. I mean and it's it's easy it's easy for us in in you know 
this is 3,000 years, a little over 3,000 years removed from the events of the book of Judges, to, to read this and, and not see ourselves in the text, particularly when the idolatry that is discussed here tends to be, I mean, the Baals, the Ashtaroth, the gods mm-hmm. of Syria, and so forth, as we will read. Like, we, we think about that. Well, how, how did they possibly think that that was a good idea? There's, there's just no way, because, I mean, you're thinking statues and poles, and of, of course, we would never do that. But as you've already hinted, the, the idols that, that we have today don't always have little statues or poles or altars, although sometimes they do have physical places. We just don't recognize them as such. But it is ideologies, it is ways of thinking, worldviews that draw our attention, our devotion away from Christ. And, and this cycle that we see in the book of Judges is not something that is unique to them, but it is still something that Christians today go through this this matter of rebelling against the Lord and needing to bring be brought to repentance and restoration in Christ. I'm reminded of what Luther says uh, concerning holy baptism in the fourth part, where he talks about what baptism means for us. That daily, daily, not just every week in church, but daily, the old Adam mm-hmm. needs to be drowned and die so that the new man, Christ, would emerge and, and arise to live in righteousness and purity forever. So this is, you're right, this is always a, an applicable thing for us as Christians to be considering the book of Judges. So with that, Pastor Zimmerman, I know we'll have opportunity to reflect on that more. Mm-hmm. Let's go ahead and, and take a look at the text. Judges chapter 10, beginning at verse 6. The people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth, the gods of Syria, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of the Ammonites, and the gods of the Philistines. And they forsook the Lord and did not serve him. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he sold them into the hand of the Philistines and to the hand of the Ammonites. And they crushed and oppressed the people of Israel that year. For 18 years, they oppressed all the people of Israel who were beyond the Jordan in the land of the Amorites, which is in Gilead. And the Ammonites crossed the Jordan to fight also against Judah and against Benjamin and against the house of Ephraim, so that Israel was severely distressed. I think I'll I'll pause there, Pastor Zimmerman, because there's a a bit of a turn as the text continues after that. So, So here, I mean, right up front, the relapse or the rebellion is put front and center. And there is no question that the people have fallen into all kinds of gross idolatry there in verse six. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) This is no other way to put it. (laughs) Gross idolatry. I mean, and it's, I think it's important that we see that um, when you're using the um, the term that the author author does in verse six, we can talk about what's evil in the sight of the Lord. I mean, we could say like you know we know the commandments, and anytime we violate the commandments, we're doing something that's evil in the sight of the Lord. Absolutely, there, there's there's no doubt about that. Um, there's there's all sorts of immoral activities that that we can engage in 
And the Lord is distressed by that. He is not pleased by that. And he would consider it to be evil in his sight. But there is another thing when the author speaks about the Israelites serving the Baals and the Ashtaroth, the gods of Syria, Sidon, Moab, Ammonites, Philistines. They forsook the Lord and did not serve him. Because here, here I think we can talk about it's. It's not just that these were. Um, it's not just that the authors like uh, recounting that the Israelites, you know, in their day to day living, you know, there were times where they really didn't, they they didn't honor their parents, and and they did, you know, physically harm their neighbor, and and some of them broke marriage vows, and there's a lot of covetousness around. And, you know, maybe some of them, you know, on the Sabbath didn't actually rest and pay attention to the Lord's words. But it's really to like the first commandment, which is, you know, to whom do you belong and, and whom do you serve? And here the, the author is speaking about the Israelites as a group not serving Yahweh, not serving the Lord, forsaking him. Say, say, I, we, we ought to be under allegiance uh, to another, to another deity, to another god, uh, and the gods that um, are that my neighboring nations serve and, and they worship, they, you know, perhaps those gods are actually more worthy of honor than Yahweh is. Hmm. Uh, that they can deliver for me things more than the Lord can, and so, so I am going to serve them. I'm going to be devoted to them. I'm going to worship them. I'm going to adopt their way of life. I, I, I'm going to believe that, like, you know, Baal Haddad's going to bless my, uh, my harvest this year, um, that he's going to provide uh, my needs of, of, of uh, body, as well as any kind of the spiritual blessing. And so I, I think perhaps you ought to look at it a little more than just simply the Israelites had a bad record of keeping the commandments fully as much as they are just like commandments, Decalogue, laws of Moses, Lord's. No, we don't even want any of that. We're chasing after a completely other religion, a completely other way of life. Hmm. That, that phrase, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord— I think in our world today, we do automatically begin to think of that in terms of sins against the second table of the law. In other words, sins against my neighbor, those things that, and I think the way you talked about it, sins of immorality, sins of, of murder, of adultery, of theft, of gossip, those things that make a person a, quote, bad person. And, and I think that's just the way that our minds are trained to hear that, that to do evil in the Lord's sight is to sin against my neighbor. And as you said, that certainly is evil in the sight of the Lord. But over and over again in the book of Judges and throughout the scriptures, the ultimate evil in the sight of the Lord is to worship idols. And that is what happens here for the people of Israel. That's what happens for them so many times throughout their history is that they forsake the service of the Lord and they begin to worship idols. And I, I think 
Maybe we, we should talk about this too, Pastor Zimmerman. What does it mean to actually serve an idol? Because we often, again, we have this picture in our minds, or at least I do. I should I shouldn't assume others do, but I do of of the of someone bowing down before a little statue, and and we think, well, what what's so bad about that? It seems harmless enough, but maybe we ought to remember that there are really two different religions that we're talking about here. One is the religion of grace, which is the religion that the Lord Yahweh gives to His people, where He gives because of who he is, not because of who his people are. He simply gives. He is a gracious God. And the other religion, which is represented by all these idols, is the religion of the law, where where you have to do something to please that God. And if you do it well enough, then he will give you or she will give you whatever it is, maybe, maybe, that you were asking for. And those are, are two totally different religions that, that start in total, totally different places, and as the people of Israel experience time and time again, end in two totally different ways. The one, the religion of the Lord and grace leads to a love a, a love of God and a love of neighbor. The other, the religion of the law, these idols, leads to total chaos and all kinds of, of immorality on top of the idolatry. And, and sometimes, at least I know in, in my own mind, I lose sight of that key difference between these two religions. Yeah, it's, I mean, there is, you know, I mean, there, there, there was like the actual kneeling down or bowing down before figures, uh, which were depicting these deities. But I would say, I, I think you, you presented it pretty well, that we should just, we should think of like that actual kneeling or bowing down or offering the sacrifices to those various statues or other depictions as just like one aspect of a greater religion. I mean, not greater because it's better <laughs> than, than the Lord's religion, but, but so, it, it, it's, it's a larger whole in the same way that we'll, you know, when we come on Sunday mornings or other times you know, for, for the divine service, you know, that, that's only one aspect of our faith. It's only one aspect of the Christian religion, the, 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 way, of the, the way of life that the Lord has established for us. Um, Yes, we come and we receive his his gifts and and benefits, which he graciously offers to us, but but he also has, like, you know, these things that we are uh, called to be, called to do. Here's how how you look at the world. Here here I'm going to to reveal, you know, how I am actually master and, and, and creator, and I'm the one who is benevolent, and I... I give all these things to you. I made you. I I formed you. I give you the things that your your body needs. I actually uh, establish an order in which you live. Uh, I, the natural creation and and all the different cycles within within uh, like the you know, the water cycle and the uh, you know the the way the plants work. All all of this is what the Lord established. And we're called to live in it and to live in it, understanding that he's the one who has established these things. And he's the one who, who has created this order. And he's the one who has, who has brought us into it. And, and we didn't. It wasn't us. And all these things are received by grace. And that these, this worship that we do for him or offer to him is in response to all these things he, he's done. 
But just like that, you know, the act of worship is not just confined to, uh, you know, the, the maybe hour, 90 minutes, or however long divine service takes in, in, in a congregation each week. Kind of in the same way, what the Israelites are doing when they're forsaking the Lord and not serving him, but they're serving the Baals, or they're serving Ashtoreth, or they're serving the other Canaanite gods, they're saying, yeah, they're going to, like, those altars or high places or whatever the idols are, and yeah, they're bowing down, they're offering their sacrifices, but they're really saying, you know, like, Moloch is the one who's actually set all these things. Or Chemosh, or or Dagon, or all these other Canaanite gods that that are referred to in the in the Hebrew scriptures, and they say, no, it's not Yahweh who's established the world. It's not Him who has actually made me. It's not Him who who has uh, given me the the key to understand you know who I am as a human being and 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 the way order works. No, it's these others, and therefore I need to serve them. And so when we're talking about it, it's, yeah, it is the bowing down before the figure, but the bowing down before the figure or the idol is really kind of uh, just signifying your devotion to this one. And that devotion was playing out not only on, like, you know, the worship day, it was playing out in the way they were understanding themselves, the world in which they were living. Hmm. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on Worldwide KFUO. We're going to take a short break. But we'll be right back. Please stick around. Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233. 800-843-5233. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Monday, July 27th, and we are studying Judges chapter 10, verses 6 through 18. We've got Pastor Luke Zimmerman with us. He is the pastor at Calvary Evangelical Lutheran Church in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. Pastor Zimmerman, prior to the break, we, we were looking at verse 6 and talking about what it means that the people of Israel are actually serving these false gods. Now, there's a, a long list given here in verse 6. In terms of, of geography, these these false gods, where are they all coming from as they affect the people of Israel? So basically what you see the Israelites doing is they're just choosing whichever neighboring nations are around them hmm. and adopting the religions of them. Now, it, it seems like kind of the Canaanite uh, groups, and we use that term to kind of like talk about most of the ancient Near Eastern peoples other than the Israelites, uh, you know, that there may have been some, you know, some commonality of, uh, you know, kind of the, the pantheon of gods that they worshipped. But, but what the author is really kind of just showing you is like, you could just think of like the, the, where these nations are. So, you know, you go north of Israel, and you've got Syria and Sidon, and he's saying that they just were worshiping the gods up there. You go east of Israel, you have uh, the Moabites and the Ammonites, and they were just grabbing, grabbing their deities and worshiping them. Uh, to the south and west, you have the Philistines, and, and, and they're doing that. Um, so it's, it's almost like they're not being necessarily, like, super selective, 
uh, as, as much as just, you know, taking what their, what their neighboring people are doing. And perhaps if you were a northern Israelite, you, you went after the Syrian or Sidonian gods. If you were like a southwestern Israelite, you went after the Philistine gods. I mean, it's just kind of taking, taking the next nearest thing. The other thing about it, too, is, you know, you, you can see where uh, one of the kind of the questions, like, why, why might an Israelite uh, worship one of these foreign gods and, and forsake the Lord who had actually brought them into Canaan, is something that you might actually see them observing their neighbors, uh, observing the nations around them, saying, hey, look, they're pretty good. I mean, you know, I mean, maybe, maybe the crops came in real well in uh, Syria this year, and, you know, maybe ours weren't as good uh, this year, our harvest this year, so maybe we ought to pray to to the gods that the Syrians pray to so that they'll bless our fields mm. next year. You know, I mean, so it's like, you know, the, the grass not always being greener on the other side of the fence kind of thing. Um, but that's, yeah, I mean, it, they're just kind of observing these people around them and then just kind of becoming like them. Right. Almost a, what have you done for me lately sort of idea sure. as well. You know, look at my, my field. What's the Lord doing for me? My buddy over here, the Syrian, his God seems to be working pretty well. I'll try that out for a while. And and then, you know, what whatever seems to be working, a very pragmatic way of mm-hmm. life, perhaps, which is, is certainly something that I think Americans can appreciate particularly. Whatever works, that's what we'll go with. Uh, whereas the Lord calls us to faithfulness in him always, even in those periods of, of waiting and being patient and suffering, as we looked at in the book of James, Right, uh, that that's that's a part of the Christian mm-hmm. life, and and how easy it is to just pick and choose whatever maybe seems to be working. Now, the the Lord though his his reaction to this, as we've seen in the Book of Judges again and again, his reaction is anger against Israel, and he brings ruin upon them. Take us into the the next couple verses, Pastor Zimmerman. Right. So so the Lord looks at this and says, you know, this is exactly the kind of stuff I told you not to do. So, so if you look at the end of Deuteronomy, that's the what Moses does, right? You know, two two ways, ways of life, ways of death. You know, which gets echoed all throughout the scriptures, and and gets echoed in in the uh, the early Christian church, like in the Didache, even. So, I mean, that's a concept. That's a very scriptural concept. There, there's the ways of life, the ways of death, the way of light, way of darkness. However, you want to use those scriptural um, uh, phrasings. So. You've got that going on. Joshua also told him that. I mean, that, that's what you read in Joshua, right? I mean, you know, you can, you can serve all these things, but as for, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And not only did you have the examples of, of like Moses and Joshua, you have the Lord speaking through Moses and Joshua to say, look, if you chase after these other deities, if you decide you're going to forsake your unique identity of being the people I brought out of Egypt, to be the people I made a covenant with, the Lord says, then I will, well, I will pull back these blessings and, and protections and, and um, you know, oversight that I have given to you. I mean, he's he, he's clear about it, and so when when this happens, it's not like the Israelites were not aware, as if like the Lord had never like mentioned this idea that that you know y- you have the opportunity to chase after these other deities, but bad stuff's going to happen. 
No, no, he was very clear about it. And so when the Israelites do this, the Lord's not going to be like, well, you know, just that's, that's too bad. You know, I, I'm not too bothered. And at, at least there are people of faith still. You know, um, no, no, he doesn't do that. He's like, okay, you want to be like the Canaanite pagans? Be like the Canaanite pagans then. Be ruled by them. I'm going to take my protection from you. I'm the one who has actually brought you into this land. I'm the one who's kept you safe. I'm the one who's actually given you both spiritual and temporal benefits. You don't want that? Fine. I'll show you what it's like to be a Canaanite. Uh, because when I remove that protection from you, when I when I pull that back, you're going to be subject to, well, if there's a better warlord to the east, you better expect he's going to take your stuff. <laughs> you know, so uh, he lets that temporal punishment fall upon them. Mm-hmm. And it lasts for for eighteen years, is what we get there in verse mm-hmm. eight, and and we we find out again, as we said previously, that it is the the Ammonites, the Philistines together. The Ammonites are the the first one that really get focused on here as the the narrative moves forward, and and the key is that at least for verses eight and nine is that again, as we've seen in the past, Israel learns its lesson. Uh, that's not the right way to say it. The The Lord's allowing of ruin has his desired effect, and it brings them to repentance. Yeah. So uh, it, it's, it's not always instant. And that's one of the things we have to look at, is that at, at times, even when the Lord deals with us individually, there can be times where it's almost like... Uh, um, some kind of suggested the idea of like the fisherman letting the line run, right? You, mm-hmm. get, you get a fish on the hook, you know, mm-hmm. and, and it runs. The problem's going to be is if, if, the, uh, if the fisherman would just say, well, I'm not just going to let the line run. I'm going to cut the line. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, so here the Lord, it's actually, you know, 18 years, and, you know, it's, it's, it's gone for a while. And eventually the Israelites, I guess, figure it out. Uh, and I don't, I don't think that's maybe the best way to put it, to just kind of figure it out, as much as there is, an, the understanding comes to them of what is happening and what they've lost. Kind of like, um, uh, you know, the parable of the prodigal son or the lost son, yeah. when he comes to his senses, yeah. right? That, that's the description of it. You know, I mean, I, you know, back, back in my father's house, you know, even, even the slaves were eaten well. Right. Uh, I forsaken that. But I know that I know what that was. Mm. And I understand that what what I'm in now is a big mess. And um, if I can understand that, really, maybe the Lord actually when he made those statements about I'm going to bless you, I'm going to watch over you. I got, he actually was meaning it. Mm. And when he also said, you know, I can pull that away if you chase after these other gods and forsake me and become like the surrounding nations. Yeah, he actually meant that. Mm. So that word of God, where the Lord actually expressed his will and expressed what was true and revealed what was true, um, has its way. Mm. I like that, the 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 parable of the the lost sons as a, a good example of, of seeing what's happening to the people of Israel here. So with that, let's read the rest of the text in Judges chapter 10 now, beginning at verse 10. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, saying, We have sinned against you, because we have forsaken our God and have served the Baals. And the Lord said to the people of Israel, 
Did I not save you from the Egyptians and from the Amorites, from the Ammonites and from the Philistines? The Sidonians also and the Amalekites and the Maonites oppressed you, and you cried out to me, and I saved you out of their hand. Yet you have forsaken me and served other gods, therefore I will save you no more. Go and cry out to the gods whom you have chosen. Let them save you in the time of your distress. And the people of Israel said to the Lord, We have sinned. Do to us whatever seems good to you. Only please deliver us this day. So they put away the foreign gods from among them and served the Lord. And he became impatient over the misery of Israel. Then the Ammonites were called to arms and they encamped in Gilead. And the people of Israel came together and they encamped at Mizpah. And the people, the leaders of Gilead, said to one another, Who is the man who will begin to fight against the Ammonites? He shall be head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. That's the rest of the text for today, Judges chapter 10. That was verses 10 through 18. So we we see the turn there in chapter 10, Pastor Zimmerman, where the people had been distressed, severely distressed, and now they it, it clicks. They cry out to the Lord in repentance. Yeah, and, and they are acknowledging their sin. And I think that's, that's, that's important to note in verse 10. We have sinned against you. Why? What was the sin? What, what was the thing that we did? You know, it, 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 it wasn't just simply, again, as we said earlier in the, in the broadcast, it wasn't just simply, okay, yeah, I, I, didn't, I didn't keep all the commandments like I was supposed to. And again, that is evil in the Lord's sight and, and that, but, but this went went past it. <laughs> you know, I, we have sinned because we decided to put other gods before Yahweh. Because we decided to say, I'm going to be devoted to the Baals. I'm going to serve them. I'm not going to worship the Lord. I'm not going to serve him. I'm not going to live in his way of life. I, I, I'm not going to believe that my status uh, as a human being is completely dependent on him. I'm going to worship another person and say, he's the creator, or she's the creator, or she's, she's the one who blesses me, or he's the one who uh, gives me good things. Hmm. And so that's the real sin, the idolatry. And the idolatry then also manifests itself in the other moralities that they adopt. And as you would know about like the ancient Near Eastern religions, a lot of like sexual immorality is part of that. Uh, the you know, kind of the fertility cults and different things. And so he says, you know, they recognize it. And then the Lord, when he reacts to them in verses 11 through 14, you know, he is spelling out to the people, uh, here is what I was for you. Let's, let's, you know, let's rehearse this thing. Let's rehearse your history. Let's rehearse your identity. Let's remember, you know, go back centuries and generations and remember how you were slaves in Egypt. How I brought you into Canaan. How I delivered you from, from those nations that wanted to keep you out of this land I promised to you. How even when you came into this land, you know, the people... The people were like, you know, uh, around you and threatening you, and I and I and I helped push them out. Remember that. That's what I did. I saved you. That's the relationship. That that's 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 your identity. That that's who you are, and that's who I am. And yet, what did you do? You forsook me. 
You served other gods. And if that's the way you're going to be, then cry out to them and let them help you. But if it's not who you are, and they're going to recognize it's not who they are, then we can we can have this thing become restored again. Mm. Well, and, and the people then do take the Lord up on, on what he has told them then. He says, no, this isn't, they recognize this isn't who we are. They, they hear what the Lord preaches to them of what he's done for them, how he's delivered them in the past. They've heard his challenge to cry out to these false gods that you've, you've chosen for yourself, see what they do. And they, they decline that offer, rightly so, recognizing who they are in the Lord. And they, again, repeat their confession and they continue to cry to him for help in verse 15. Mm-hmm. So again, it, there, there is the saying that, yes, we have sinned. So, so it's, it's really kind of like, you know, we have sinned because we've forsaken our God and served the Baals. The Lord explains why that was a sin. And the Israelites are like, yep, he's right. We have sinned. That's exactly what we are. And really, we have no station before the Lord here. You know, when they say, you know, do to us whatever seems good to you. Mm. It really, when we are talking about putting ourselves uh, at the mercy of the Lord, that's what we're doing. Now, we do so, hopefully, recognizing what the Lord says about himself. You know, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, the fact we can confess our transgressions and he will forgive us. That is the way the Lord speaks about himself. And so when we are putting ourselves at his mercy and we are claiming the things which he has said, we're saying, yes, what you say about yourself is correct and what you say about me is correct. What you say about yourself and your character and your promises, that that's all correct. And what you say about me, that I've, I've not met your standard of righteousness, that I, that I have sinned against you uh, when I have broken your commands, that is also correct. And so when I come in repentance, I'm coming back, and I'm not, I'm not saying that you were wrong to convict me. I'm not saying you're wrong to have punished me. No, I say that was, that was just, that was right. But I'm also coming back anticipating receiving what is in line with the Lord's character when the Lord spoke about people putting themselves at his mercy. Mm, right. The, the verses that we, we sometimes speak prior to confession and absolution in the divine service come to mind about if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We, but mm-hmm. when we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness that in, in, saying to him, yes, I believe what you say about me, we also then say, I believe what you say about yourself. And and putting a, putting ourselves at his mercy it, in the truest sense of that word, not not only in that he will do whatever is good to, to him in the sense that kind of whatever his whim happens to be that day, but rather he does whatever is good that he's told us is good. And, and and what is the ultimate good? Well, it is the forgiveness of our sins that he gives to us in Jesus Christ. And, and so, yeah, to, to put ourselves at his mercy or the way the people of Israel put themselves at the Lord's mercy is a recognition of both of those things at the same time, a full confession of sin that I deserve nothing from God because that's what he's told me. And also a full confession of who he is as he has revealed himself in his goodness and mercy in his word. And so that, that repentance of the people of Israel 
is not only in words here, but it happens actually in deeds. They they actually put away their foreign gods. This is one of those those parts I think sometimes we forget about Israel. We we tend to remember how often they they fell away from the Lord, but they also were brought back in true repentance. And this is one of those moments right here. It is. Now, here we don't have exactly the details of what that looked like, but in other times in, in the Old Testament historical books, you, you will see what that looked like. Um, like certain of the kings, like Joash, Josiah, people like that, where it's, you know, they're, they actually like take the idols and tear them down and crush them, or, uh, you know, uh, even Moses pre uh you know, during the Exodus, so before they get to, to Canaan itself, when he deals with the golden calf, right, where he where he grinds it up, or it makes the people drink it, which is that's really impressive. Obviously, they are literally putting it away. Um, so you you do have that. We don't know what exactly that looked like here. Uh, the the uh, the compiler or the person who put the judge's narrative together doesn't tell us, but, but I think we could look at those other references in the old Testament and say, it would have looked something like that. Um, uh, I mean, even Gideon writes in the previous example, like tears down one of the idols, right? Uh, so, so, so something like that w- would have done. And they go back to serving the Lord. Uh, and that serving of the Lord, again, you want to talk, when we talked about the serving of the Baals, or serving of the other gods, yeah, it was the bowing down in front of the idols and stuff, but it was more than that. It was adopting their ways of life, their culture, religion, uh, their morality. So if you are putting them away, and now you are serving the Lord, uh, it would mean adopting the worship practices again, spelled out like in Leviticus, but it would also be adopting that way of life, which was part of what the Lord spelled out in the books of Moses, too. Mm-hmm. Now, the way that, that the Lord reacts, again, we, we see the same cycle. It's, it's phrased a, a bit interestingly, I think. He became impatient over the misery of Israel. It, he, he's tired of watching it now, and he's, he's quick to show his mercy. Yeah, he is. And it's a way of kind of saying, it's like, I, I, I just can't stand it anymore, right? Yeah, um, yeah. And, and he, uh, it's translated a few different ways, depending on which English um, uh, translations you use. But you know, something like, you know, he could bear the misery of Israel no longer, kind of literally more like his soul was short with the misery of Israel. And, and, and it goes back again, though, to what the Lord says about himself. And about the Israelites, they are his chosen and beloved people. And, and, and he has made these promises to this chosen and beloved people. And where they were faithless, he was faithful. And now as they've been brought back to faithfulness, he's going to keep those promises that he had he'd always made, always established. Um, and he's going to act upon it and, and act favorably for his people again. Now, verses 17 and 18, then, it it seems start to bleed over into the narrative that we'll pick up tomorrow in chapter 11, a bit of a a preview as to how the Lord's going to accomplish this deliverance. Yeah, so the issue is, like, who is the instrument that the Lord was using uh, to, to bring the people into repentance. And he had brought the Ammonites. That, that, and I think it's important that the, we, we look at that. The author is telling us this wasn't just historical happenstance. 
you know. The, the Lord actually did use the Ammonites as one of the, his tools or instruments. Like, like later on, he'll use the Assyrians. Later on, he'll use the Babylonians, as you read further in the Old Testament historical books. And so the Ammonites are a problem. And they're a problem because the Lord has used them as a tool to bring his people into repentance as they suffer temporally. And now... They have, they have repented. Now they've come back to him. Now he's uh, impatient with their misery. So what are we going to do with the Ammonites? What's going to happen to them? And so like we saw in previous cycles, like with Gideon, uh, dealing with the Midianites, or earlier with like Barak and dealing with some of the people that he did, um, the Lord is going to raise up someone who will actually be a champion. Hmm. He's going to appoint someone, and that's going to bring the restoration. Uh, we'll find out who it is, like you said, in the next broadcast. Hmm. So, Pastor Zimmerman, with about a, two minutes here on, on the morning, uh, give us just some final reflections on this text and, and why this is an important text for us to, to have as Christians today. Well, this idea of repentance and restoration is highly important because this is what we're actually seeing in our own lives. So one of the things we need to figure out is, you know, what are we doing? How are we being like the Israelites, both, both positively but also, but also negatively? And so kind of the question is, you know, if we think of like those cycles of, of rest, relapse, ruin, repentance, restoration, do we find ourselves in these things? Do we find ourselves in any of these phases because of what we've done? Are we devoted to the Lord, or have we forsaken him? Um, have we adopted the gods and morals and values that are, that are pagan, that are of these other, other religions which are competitors to the Lord? And if we have, then we need to repent and be restored uh, by the Lord. Um, and as we said earlier in the broadcast, those gods don't have to be, you know, literally like religions as we speak of them. They could be all sorts of different ideologies and worldviews where we are more devoted to them than we are to the Lord and his way of life and what he's revealed to us in the scriptures. And one of the big worries that we have would be we saw these cycles in Judges. And as cycles that he did for the nation, but one of the kind of questions would be, might we reach a place in our life that if we are, we've relapsed and, and we're being brought to ruin, that we don't have the time to repent and be restored? And that would be a very bad place for us to end up in. Hmm. Um, so that, that's one of the things that, you know, we see this historical example going on, uh, the Lord completing those cycles, but... You know, might we reach it that in our own lives that we don't get a chance to actually complete one of those cycles? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, a constant, a constant reminder for us to pray, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. God, grant to me your gift of repentance. Pastor Luke Zimmerman is the pastor at Calvary Evangelical Lutheran Church in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania, helping us today with Judges chapter 10, verses 6 through 18. Pastor Zimmerman, thanks as always for being our guest. Very welcome to do it again. The cycle of relapse, ruin, repentance, 
restoration. This is what we see in the book of Judges for our own benefits today, that we would see what the Lord did and recognize how he still calls us to repentance for our sins daily in our baptisms to put to death that old Adam so that the new man would arise by his action and emerge to live in righteousness and purity before him forever. I am your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow. Thank you.